Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Welcome back to the Daylight Savings Time version of the Gay Buddhist Talk Show. It's our uh, custom to uh, go around and say our names. Um, my, name is my name is Rich. My name is Andre. David. Uh, Ron. My name is Mark. Don. Peter. Joe. Bob. Jeff. My name is Jerry. Uh, my name is Harley. Matthew. I'm Clint. I'm Larry. Jack. My name is Stephen. Max. <coughs> Grisha. I'm Brad. My name is Bill. My name is Christopher. I'm Jim. I'm Richard. I'm Tim. Samuel. Jay. Eugene. <laughs> um, welcome, Eugene. Um, when I was um, mentioning the bio that we have for him, he Eugene suggested that I improvise. <laughs> so let me just tell you about when we met in a bar in Rangoon. <laughs> it was a while ago. It was a while ago. But um, he is a founding teacher of the San Francisco Insight Meditation Community of San Francisco. Um, meets Wednesdays and Sundays at Unitarian Church on Franklin Street teaches at Spirit Rock Meditation Center and leads intensive meditation retreats internationally. Uh, Eugene's teaching is influenced by both Burmese and Thai streams of the Theravada tradition, as well as Zen and Tibetan Buddhist practice. He is a teacher of the Diamond Approach, a school of spiritual investigation and self-realization developed by A.H. Almas. And the uh, website for um, Insight uh, Meditation Community is www.sfinsight.org, and there's information there about their meetings on Tuesdays, on uh, Sundays and Wednesdays. So welcome, uh, Eugene, and, and thank you for that uh, reminder of being in the body and connecting it to awareness through yeah. meditation. It's very helpful. Good. Thank you. Good, good to be here with you all. Uh, please wave at me if my voice gets too quiet because I tend to talk softly. And I notice as I get older, it's harder to hear. So don't be shy, okay? I like to be waved at. It's <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it's interesting to hear the bio. I, I, I hear the bio and I think, oh, that's not me at all. <laughs> and of course, it's not me. It's things about me that, you know, you know are mostly true. Yes. Uh, but they're not uh, all so 
currently accurate. Like, actually, I haven't taught internationally for quite a while, although I used to teach regularly internationally. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, I'm, you know, and it says, oh, yeah, I teach at Spirit Rock, and it's like, you know, that's relatively accurate, but actually I'm one of the oldest teachers at Spirit Rock, and I've been there since not quite the beginning, but almost, mm -hmm. and now we have a huge, big teacher, teaching team at Spirit Rock. When I, when I got trained to teach, there were six of us getting trained to join the eight people who were, now we have like 35 teachers, mm -hmm. which is a lot in, at Spirit Rock. Um, it's hard to get any time on the calendar when there's so many other teachers, right, who everybody wants to teach retreats. Um, and, I, and really, I'm, I'm saying all of this because I want to talk about um, change. Because have any of you noticed that things change? <laughs> okay, we're, we're on the same page with that. That's accurate. And uh, and uh, I'm aware. And okay, I need to ask a question. How many people here are in their eighties? Okay, nobody. Seventies. <coughs> How many people in their sixties? Okay, fifties. Forties. Thirties. 20s? You're the young one. It's a, I'm sure you don't think of yourself as a young one, but it's all relative, right? Because things change. Because I remember being a young one, meaning in my 30s, but that's not what's happening now because things change. And uh, it's an interesting part of Buddhist practice. And partly I'm asking you all, I mean, there's a whole other set of questions about who's here that are interesting, which, okay, let's do it. Um, how many people here identify as white? How many people here identify as African-American? How many people here identify as um, Mexican-American? How many people here identify as, um, this is broader term, but Asian American? Okay. So this is a white group. <laughs> That's not a, not a problem for me. I can pass for white, even though I don't identify as white, but which I'm happy to talk about if we get to that. But um, uh, partly I'm bringing this up because yesterday I did a teaching at the San Francisco Dharma Collective, which is a new group uh, where the old Against the Stream used to meet. Um, and um, we did a teaching, myself and Arena Weissman and um, Howard Cohn, Howie Cohn, who also leads a group here in San Francisco, on white privilege. And it was very interesting to teach that. I hadn't done that teaching before. It was very interesting to see um, the understanding. It wasn't just about white privilege. It's about being aware of race and 
the idea of race and the belief in race and even the whole creation of the idea that there are different races, which is not an eternal idea, which is actually a modern idea. But, and, and when I grew up in the Dharma, that kind of day never happened. But things change, and things have changed a lot around bias, prejudice, race, and, uh, and also in other areas, not just about race, but about gender, sexuality, um, economics, age, all the differences that are part of being a human being. Right, that are normal, um, and yet they put us into different groups. And of course, this is the Gay Buddhist Fellowship, which is a certain group, right, and a really important group, an important um, understanding of the kind of support that comes with the identification with some part of our particular meaning our color or our shape or our age or our gender or our sexuality or whatever, or our economic status at times, whatever it might be. And what was interesting about the day was um, I learned a lot, actually. I learned a lot about uh, myself and other people, which is what we're trying to do is wake up together Right, because we're actually here together. We're not here alone, and the Dharma is really beautiful that way to start to let go of our bias, prejudice, opinions, ideas, beliefs that might not be true. Right, that we might have about ourselves first of all, and then about other people, which is mostly not true. And it's very freeing to learn about letting go and starting to land here in a real way so that we can live our lives fully. And I believe everybody would want that. Uh, you know, and you could please raise your hand if you don't want to live your life fully. I'm, I'm, also, I'm always interested to learn from others because. I'm in a role where I get to say a lot of things that sound like they make sense, and, and sometimes they do. I mean, I'm, I'm a okay teacher, but, but it also, at times, I say things and they're not accurate, or they're not accurate for everyone, and so I get to learn something about reality, because reality, in my opinion, is much wilder than we think it is. So this is all just um, a little bit of intro to the, what I was planning on talk about today, which is change and our relationship to life because life keeps changing. And uh, I have a quote from one of my uh, heroes, really, especially when I was younger. Uh, I was a musician when I was younger. I played music for many, many years. And, had a, had a performing space in my house uh, when I was young here in San Francisco and had people from all around the world perform in the house. And, uh, um, and I played improvised music. And, uh, and, and how many people here know who Eric Dolphy is? Does anybody know? Great. 
too. Is that anybody else? Wait, I was just reading. Oh, great, great, great. Because I, I love Eric Dolphy, and Eric Dolphy, just a brilliant, brilliant musician who unfortunately died very young in Europe, uh, black man. And Eric Dolphy said, music is like the wind. Music is like the wind. You don't know where it came from, and you don't know where it went. You can't control it. All you can do is get inside the sphere of it and be swept away. And it's a beautiful understanding of the goodness of life because so much good happens. And of course, I'm, I'm great at talking about suffering and everything that's bad. But I also, also like to talk about the good that's here that we often don't recognize because of our ideas, beliefs, prejudices, biases, attachment to suffering which can happen in Buddhism, or attachment to difficulty, which we all have. I assume everybody here, uh, if you don't know the word dukkha, it means suffering, or difficulty, or dis-ease, uh, or dissatisfaction. And I assume everybody here knows about dukkha, right? You've all had that experience. It's part of life. It's not a mistake, and it's not that we do it wrong. It's part of the deal if you're alive. But also, part of the deal is there's goodness here. And there's good things here. I mean, even the fact that we can come here and do this today, right? And you can just, we can just walk in the door and talk about the Dharma, you know, or, and Buddhism and life and what's important and what do we care about and what do we value and what's meaningful to us. I mean, in my opinion, that's good. That's a good thing. That's, and really, I would go even further. I would say, oh, that's a blessing we, we don't often recognize because maybe, you, how long has GBF been doing this? 1989. 1989, okay, so that's, you know, 20-something 30. years. 30 years? <laughs> oh yeah, it's 2019. Thank you. I see. I, I it, things things change so fast. I forget that it's 2019. I'm like still in like 2015 or something. No, it's true. 30 years. I mean, and so you know when that, like, uh, well, so I've been around a while, and I've been in San Francisco a while, and uh, I grew up in a whole other world than San Francisco. I grew up in Detroit. And I like Detroit. I actually have very positive things to say about Detroit. I even went to Detroit last year uh, to my 50th high school reunion. That was wild. I haven't been to Detroit in a while. And Detroit's something, and it's, it's in, the good things are happening in Detroit, and I'm happy about that. And it was a good place to grow up in, partly because it wasn't so segregated in when I grew up there. And the world I grew in, up in was very mixed. Um, but um, uh, I'm trying to think, where was I going with this? Uh, uh, the, oh, San Francisco. So when I came to San Francisco, this was a different world than I knew. And it wasn't just, it was, I'd lived in New York for a few years after Detroit, and I was, I did all kinds of 
I was on the streets in, in New York, and I did street theater, radical political street theater there. But then I went to I came to San Francisco, and the gay scene here was like nothing I'd seen. I mean, it, there was a gay scene in in um, New York, but it was still it wasn't like San Francisco, in my opinion, changed the world about being gay because. It, it was such a strong community that happened, and the collective changed people's understanding and opinions and prejudices and biases and fears that were very common in Detroit when I grew up, right? That was not the scene in Detroit, what was happening in San Francisco. And, uh, yeah, so what I'm pointing at is how things change for the good and are really important that, they, that we recognize the goodness of life and what's possible, not just the bad things that happen, which we also want to be aware of and we want to respond to and we want to see and we don't want to shut our eyes to, but we don't want to shut our eyes to the goodness that's here and the potential for more goodness. And I think that's something that Buddhism is offering to us and to the world is the potential for us to wake up together. And what that means to me, when I talk about waking up, and I like to talk about waking up because that's what I think Buddhism is about. It's just not about, it, it's, it may include feeling better, but that's not what the Buddha was teaching. He was teaching freedom and liberation and full knowing of who and what we are and what's possible for us as human beings. And I don't use the word enlightenment much. I like awakening. But really what I think that means is that the Buddha became a mature human being. He became a mature human being. And, and I'm assuming everybody here, we're all mature human beings at a certain level he discovered another level of maturity that's possible for us as human beings. And I like to keep pointing at it and talking about it and saying, pay attention because it's part of the possibility that's sitting right here in our seats. It's part of what's possible that he, he didn't say, oh, I'm a god, which people sometimes said in his era and his culture and his time and place. He didn't say, I'm a god. He said, I'm awake. That was the key word he said about what it meant for him to be free. He was awake. And, and we all, I'm assuming, you can tell me if I'm wrong, are more awake than we used to be, right? I mean, I am. And, and you know, I totally have a positive sense of different parts of my life. But I, 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 and I'm going to be 70 this year, and I love getting older. It's so interesting to know more, to wake up more, to not stop waking up. And actually, the, some of the Buddhist teachers I really like these days are very um, uh, in harmony with that understanding about what awakening means it's not a fixed place. It means we wake up and then we keep waking up. There's more waking up. There's more maturing that we can do as human beings 
whoever we are, wherever we are. And it's, it's one of the beautiful things about human beings in general, whether you're Buddhist or not. I mean, I love watching people's uh, maturity, waking up, and they might not ever use that word, but you watch people start to get the bigger picture. And here's an example. It's too bad I, I'm improvising almost all of this talk, so I don't have any of this written down. But um, David Brooks, who's a New York Times columnist, who, you know, he seems like a pretty intelligent guy to me. And although my wife looked it up in, and said, oh, yeah, he's kind of rightist, center rightist. He's not yeah. fundamentalist, but center. And I said, okay, but I he's a smart guy. Let's, you know, and she said, because he wrote this article about reparations for black people. And he totally was aversive to this idea of reparations until he started going around the country and talking to people and learning more than he knew about people and what it is to be black. And he changed his whole opinion about it. And now he's positive about reparations for black people. Now, for me, that's a good thing because he sees something about this country and what happened that is different for, than the other immigrants who came to this country. What, whatever immigrant you might be, whether it's from Asia or Mexico or South America, or in, in my case from Eastern Europe, or wherever your, your people came from, it's different than what happened. And David Brooks says this in an article that was in New York Times uh, two days ago or three days ago. Um, he says that it's about what happened to Americans and Native Americans is a sin, which is not a word that's used in the New York Times. Uh, you know, he said it's a sin. I love that he used the word because uh, it, it's so um, heartfelt, actually, is what he's pointing at. And then what it means to enslave other peoples and to take other peoples, and he talks about the, um, he, he said that, that we, what we did was steal their soul, which is also not a word that's so used in the New York Times, but I like that word, because really the root of the word soul originally back in the Greek had to do with consciousness, that, it, it, they, that we tried to steal these people's soul and cover their people's soul both individually and collectively. And that I like when people wake up to the truth of seeing the way things are because that's what Buddhism is teaching us and that's what we're doing when we just sit here and shut our eyes is we're trying to see oh, how are things actually what is, not just what are we thinking about, but what is thought itself? What is, not just the emotions, happy or sad or glad or angry or pissed or joyful or grief, grieving, that's all good, that's an all good part of mindfulness, but that's not the end. What is a feeling itself? And then of course, what's having the feeling, right? And, if, and mostly we say me, right? And that's a relative answer, and that's got its truth. It's me, it's, it's over here. But what is me, actually? Instead of just assuming the habit 
and the belief and the conditioning of me as Eugene, right? And, you know, sometimes I like to uh, explain this by saying, uh, let, well, let me put it this way. Do you, well, no, I'll say it this way. Um, there was a time when I was a baby, I was very young, right? And they were pointing at me, and they kept saying, Eugene's this, Eugene that, Eugene's, oh, Eugene's gurgling, or Eugene, you know, just pissed, and he changed me to change his diaper. And I kept looking around, I'm like, what are they talking about? Because Eugene was a construct, right? That baby is not, that baby is a living, magical something. And Eugene is an atom. And it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying get rid of Eugene or never know that who you are on that level. But that's not the totality of the reality that's sitting right here. It's a part of it. And really part of the surface level that can lead us to the depth. And that's why we sit here with ourselves. I sit here, when I shut my eyes and I stop talking and I'm meditating, I'm aware of Eugene and Eugene's thoughts and feelings and sensations and ideas. And that, but at some point, that, all those ideas can just relax and actually fall away. And there's something more immediate, something more essential, something more inherent happening that is not just the ideas about what is happening. And things, for me, get very interesting at that point. Actually, it's all interesting. I'm pretty interested in Eugene. I mean, I've been around him a long time. I mean, it's wild to see what he does. <laughs> or who he is, or what he thinks, or how he feels. And when it changes, because the whole show keeps changing, right? My thoughts, my feelings, my ideas, my beliefs, my likes, my not likes, and yet there's something here that can be present and aware of all of it. And it's not me. And it's not not me. That's the paradox. This is from another one of my great musician friends, Charlie Mingus, great bass player and brilliant man. He said, in my music, I'm trying to play the truth of what I am. In my music, I, I'm trying to play the truth of what I am. And the reason it's difficult is because I'm changing all the time. And it's such a beautiful understanding, and I know it both from music and I know it from life. Right, Because when I played impro improvised music, what I loved about it was you never play the same thing twice. What you're trying to do is express the truth of the moment, whatever that might be. And so all the feelings, thoughts, all of that would come out through the music. And then something beyond Eugene would come through Eugene and come into the music. And I believe you all know this because you've had it happen yourself in some form or you've seen it like when you see a, a, a play 
or uh, you see a dance performance, or you go to a musical concert, something happens that's beyond the people who are performing. It's greater than them. It's bigger than them. It's more, it touches the whole audience. What's touching the whole audience? It's not just the person who's standing up there playing the guitar, or it's, it's what's coming through them. And we're all vehicles for reality to come through us. And that's what the Dharma is pointing us at. A couple Buddhist quotes. This is from Bhante Gunaratna. He says there's a, a corollary to the law of change or anicca, a corollary to the law of change, the law of becoming, like the law of change is constantly at work and applies to everything. While the law of change states that nothing is permanent but ever changing, the law of becoming states that everything is always in the process of becoming something else. Not only is everything changing in something else, but because the nature of that change is the process of becoming something else, however short or long the process may be. Briefly put, the law of becoming is nothing is but is becoming. A ceaseless becoming is the feature of all things. And so usually we're, when we talk about anicca, of impermanence, we always talk about things are gone, things are gone, everything's going, it's gone. But everything's also becoming something else. It's a live reality. It's not static. And it's one of the beautiful things about sitting here that we can start to see is it's not static. Even if it stays very similar for a while, it always changes. It's always in the process, quickly or slowly, becoming something else. The next moment of reality, life itself is always becoming something else. And so part of this talk is about letting go or relaxing. It's another way to describe letting go. And uh, here's the other Buddhist quote I'll read from, from the Dhammapada, Dhammapada, which is poems of the Buddha, actually. Um, and some of the first known written words uh, when those who are wise dwell in contemplation of the transient nature of body, heart, mind and of all conditioned experience when those who are wise dwell in the contemplation on the transient changing nature of the body, heart, mind and of all conditioned experience they, they experience joy and delight seeing through to the inherently secure. 
and inherently secure as a metaphor for waking up for what's here or what we could call our Buddha nature the truth of what we are sometimes called true nature Buddha nature our awake nature so here's what I like to do I said a bunch of things now I like to hear what do you think about what I've said what do you like what didn't you like what do you have questions about what do you agree with or don't agree with it gets much more interesting if we talk about this together about change about your own experience of change about life about who you are and who you aren't Clint. Well, you know, thank you for the talk. Um, I was really interested in what you said about David Brooks because I've had kind of like a long-standing <laughs> contempt for a man <laughs> as a mealy-mouthed conservative who's, who's trying to put a rational and, and sympathetic face over a savage and hateful party. I'm glad you don't have any opinion about it. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, was, I was really taken aback because I would think he'd be the last person. He would probably give some kind of, like, again, mealy map explanation, explanation why uh, reparations wouldn't, wouldn't be appropriate. And I'm, well, he, he even talks about that, that he totally disagreed with it. And that uh, Tanahasi Coates wrote a book about reparations, and he hated. He didn't agree at all. Yeah. That, and then he talks about what it was like to meet people, and they changed him. And that's for me. That also changes me when I actually get to know who somebody is and what their life is and the real difficulties and beauties. It changes me. Right? We change each other in relationship. And he got changed. And that's why I like what it said. And I don't, I don't know him that well. I don't get the New York Times and I don't read it. But he always seemed like he had some intelligence to me. And I may be wrong if I listen to you. Well, no. <laughs> well actually, I, I got a little tiny shift just from what you're talking about. What fun is it? So I have this long-standing. This is what this is the cubby hole where it belongs in. Right. And and you're challenging that cubby hole, and that's just kind of very interesting. Great. That's great. And great. You can. You're open to that because believe me, I put all kinds of people in cubby holes that aren't the totality of what's true, and maybe they have their limitations or their biases or prejudice or ignorance. But that's not the totality of who and what they are. And the potential for anybody to wake up is pretty wild, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. yeah. Great, thank you. Please. Um, in, I guess I'm curious about the idea of, the, of letting go of the differences and the identif identification with differences. And, and that you suggested that the, our sitting practice kind of helps undermine those, the connection to those differences. And I'm wondering if the idea is that it gets us in touch with a kind of common, essential nature 
that... Let, let, okay. let me talk specifically, because let's go back and forth a little, because um, I would never use... I'm never trying to undermine anything. Right? So let's be careful about the word. <laughs> right, okay. What I'm pointing at is, ultimately, any identity is a prison. Ultimately. Mm -hmm. Relatively, mm -hmm. it's really good to have identities, mm -hmm. right? So there's a paradox that's pointed out here, mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm, I'm not throwing Eugene out. Eugene's here, and I know where Eugene lives, and Eugene's car, and Eugene's everything, history, of the whole show. And that's not the end of the story. There's more to Eugene than Eugene. That's what I'm pointing out. Yeah, I, my feeling wasn't that you that the idea is that we're undermining the identity, but we're undermining an attachment to. Yes, that's a good good way to say it. But is there a kind of a, then a common essence that Let's we see. can get towards? Let's see. Who who knows? And and but or or is it? Is there a common essence? that is uncommon in each seat. That may be more accurate. Mm -hmm. That there's something we share totally, there's a oneness, but the oneness is not homogenous. Mm -hmm. It's different. Because it also has it, uh, who knows why? I don't even know why. But I know in my experience, that's what I've seen so far. And, you know, and I've seen a few awake people, I know a few awake people, and they're totally different. And that's good. And the place that I would point you that's really interesting is there's a, there's a really great book um, that I love called Three Zen Masters by John Stevens. And it's about Hakuin, Ryokan, who I love, and EQ, who I also love. Hakuin I like, but I love the other two. And, and, and they're, they're Buddhist masters, Zen masters, and they're totally different. And their difference is not um, a problem, it's part of the truth of who and what they are. Right? And so Ryokan is a total bodhisattva. And you, you you just weep reading him. I walked in, I saw a book, a poetry book by him, One Robe, One Bowl. One Robe, One Bowl, which I loved that book, and I was happy to see Rio come here. And then, uh, and then EQ is a total bad boy. Rio comes like this lover, the nice guy, and sweet, and kind, and I... Uh, I wondered if I had a poem by him here. Oh, I do. I have a poem by Ryokan here at the end. Yeah. Talking about his life and how relaxed he was. He says, Today's begging is finished. At the crossroads, I wander by the side of the Buddha shrine. Last year, a foolish monk. This year, no difference. <laughs> I mean, that's real freedom. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Actually, no change is what he says. Uh, real kind of, and EQ is also a Japanese Zen monk who was very highly 
regarded at a very early age and um, you know was was considered enlightened very early and he had they gave him a certificate of enlightenment <laughs> and he ripped it up threw it away what's this crap and and he was very sexual and I like that I think that's great because that's not so played up in Buddhism and yeah and so he he had his fun but he was totally respected for who he was and that's a really important thing to get it's not like oh we're all going to become and look like this <laughs> this is beautiful this is a statue I have no desire to be a statue. This is what it looks like here. Or this is what it looks like here. Right? It, and, and all of what that statue um, symbolizes is sitting in each seat. The potential for that is sitting in each seat. And that's important to realize, in my opinion. Please. I like your use of the word uh, awake. I think of it as uh, aware. I love uh, coming here because here I feel like I relate to people who are aware, aware of their being in the world, the actions that they take and how those actions affect others and how the actions that others take affect them and that kind of thing. And I'd like to use that springing into something that you said that I thought was very curious, and I'd like to hear that concept of awareness applied to your having said that you don't consider yourself to be white, but you can pass for being white. And so I'm just curious to hear the thought process and awareness that goes into that. Yeah, sure. So I'm Jewish. I grew up Jewish. Not a big deal, but Jewish and lower class, and uh, and so and I grew up in a world. You know, um, my parents survived, lived through the Holocaust, and so I grew up in a world where there was um, both a culture and a religion, and that I identified with, and that I knew about, and that shaped me. And it shaped me in many really, really good ways that I'm very appreciative of, um, in, including the, um, the the suffering that Jews have gone through for five thousand years. You know, because for whatever strange reason, Jews um, uh, seem to have problems wherever they live. <laughs> to be honest, really. They've, you know, whether they were in the Mideast where they originally came from or whether they were in the diaspora of wherever they went to, they, could, they lived for a while, but they always had problems for whatever reason. And, um, and so you learn something about uh, prejudice and bias because of that. And so I don't think of myself as white, partly because the way I was raised wasn't that I was told, oh, you're not white, but you're Jewish, and I was told this really literally by my parents, you never know when you have to leave a country you're in. 
that's just part of Jewish history. And so that's different than people who are Christian and white, right? It's not the same connection. And, and I feel totally like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm an American, you know, right? I'm in, you know, I was born and raised in the United States. I don't think I'm part of Israel or I'm part of some other nation, but I also think, oh yeah, if I have to leave, I'll leave because that happened, has happened to Jews for 5,000 years. Wherever they were, they had to leave at some point. And so that's a little bit the, my awareness of my history, my culture, my religion, and then also of the world and of what's true. And, and the fact that it wasn't always, it was, and also, again, when I grew up, uh, and I grew up in a Detroit that was much more mixed than uh, most cities. And so, like, my first best friend was black. It was not even, there was nothing ever even said about that. Because it was, that's how Detroit was where I grew up, kind of not lower middle class or something. And, uh, and so that's <coughs> part of my not feeling so white or not identifying as white. Does that make sense? Well, yes and no. I mean, yeah, yeah. there are two different two different qualities. It's like I'm not. You know, it's almost like saying I'm not Jewish. I'm a man. No, I mean there, because right. you can you can be both of those things, right. and you, it's like hard. Well, I, an example. No, no, go ahead. An example of that that shocked me at the time was someone in the eighties. I met two men who were traveling here from Latvia, uh -huh. and um, <coughs> at one point I said something, and they were both born in Latvia, uh -huh. and I said something about them being Latvian, and one of them said, well, I'm Latvian, but he's Jewish. Right. And so they were, they were making this distinction right. yeah. between what we right. would see as a nationality. Right, yeah, yeah. And you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's also yeah. a case of identity. I met a man in Mali who, you know, he said, you know, we talked about where we were from. I brought from the U.S. And I said, so you're Malian? And he said, no, I'm not Malian. I'm a Tuareg. So in his case, his identity was with his ethnicity, uh -huh. which, like many ethnicity, like Kurds and Hmong and Tuareg people. They they go across national borders, right? And so the the, the primary identity was not with right. wherever the political border was, but right. with where the, um, the the identity of the group right. was. So, so it seems to be a little bit like that. Yeah, well, it's great. You're helping me clarify it even in my mind. Oh, being Jewish is a race. And nobody would say that, but it's actually how you experience it. Mm. That's that's what I'm pointing at. It, it's a race. Uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to investigate that mm. more. It's a race which you talked about as being a fairly new social construct. 
Uh, there is only, I mean, according right, to science, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's only one of course, race. Of course. Race is the, the idea race. of race has yeah. been created yeah, 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 as yeah. a way of dividing. Right, right, of course. And I'm in a world where people are divided, yeah. right, in that way. And for <coughs> Jews, that, so I, either I can talk about it as a culture, or I can talk about it as a religion, or I can add in now race, because that's part of our milieu of this time and place, mm -hmm. even if it's made up, because all of it's made up. Right. Even being a Jew is made up, right? Mm -hmm. or, right? Even being a man is made up, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody made this up at some point. But it's a great, great question, and really, because you have me thinking about this more, and about how to point to something that's hard to point at. Please. Uh, thank you for a great talk. So many things run through my mind. But I've been fascinated, one of the things I've been fascinated with is how, as you pointed out, it didn't used to be, uh, seemed like it was an issue, uh, what color, what uh, race, uh, Jewish, not Jewish. Some places. Some places, yeah. yeah. Educated places. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But, um, now we live in a world that's, you know, we have so much divisiveness. Yes. And I, I agree there is a different, in addition to Nietzsche, there is a becoming. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, you said we'll see, but I wonder if you have other thoughts about the process. It's a slow process. <laughs> it's I, I, feel, I feel very positive about the whole thing. I do. But it's a slow process of human beings maturing yeah. and maturing together. And, you know, again, I can use the same words, waking up together. It's If we look over the past, I don't know, how long have human beings been here? Somebody may know this number better than me. 10,000 years or longer? Or how many? You know, whatever it's been, we're slowly maturing as a species. Right? And so uh, I'm happy that we're maturing as a species, actually, really. And, and I think there's so much more possible. Mm -hmm. Just because I, I do have a very positive feeling um, about the potential of human beings, really. Because I've just, even, even with David Brooks, I just saw that. <laughs> That one thing, like, oh, that's a big fucking deal for that guy. Yeah, it is. Right? And he, you know, and I don't even know how conservative he is, really, but I just knew even how he wrote it, it was powerful. And so, um, <coughs> and also, I watch my own maturing, which keeps happening. I'm still, you know, waking up a little bit more, hopefully every day. And, and I get um, excited about the potential. Here, I'm going to tell you one thing personal that I may have said something like this. You know, I, some of you know I had a very bad uh, bike accident, bicycle accident, brain injury, totally unplugged brain for a while. I mean, really unplugged, seriously unplugged. Like, I could, you know, five weeks in the hospital, barely take care of myself all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but even then, even in, the, even in the hospital, 
in that first week, some things happened that were so wild and so out of the box. They've always stayed with me. And even then, I didn't have enough Eugene there to tell anybody. I didn't even tell my wife for a year. And she said, what? What happened? Are you kidding? You were horrible. Oh, you hated the hospital. It was horrible. I said, yeah, that's all true. But in the middle of the night, some things happened that were really good. Mm -hmm. And I mean good way beyond. And I've been around. I know a little <laughs> bit about consciousness. Right, you know, I did psychedelics when I was young, and I, I, you know, and I did a lot of meditation, a very deep practice. It was so much wilder than what I could have imagined. What's possible for us, just in terms of consciousness? That, uh, who knows? Let's see what can happen for us as human beings, instead of being bound to what's happened so far, because. It's always becoming, right? Things are changing and always becoming. Okay, so how are we doing on time? I think we're, we have to wrap it up. Is that okay? Okay, so we, we can talk some of the time. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, so just a reminder, the uh, Insight Meditation Community website is sfinsight.org. And they meet Wednesdays and Sundays at Unitarian Church on Frackman. Yeah, if you want to come tonight, I'm teaching tonight. <laughs> Maybe too much Buddhism. <laughs> <laughs> A reminder that um, Donna uh, sustains our Sangha. It's the uh, Pali word for generosity. It pays for the rent, Larkin Street dinners, us. Uh, our own Donna to speakers and teachers and the newsletter that goes out largely to uh, prisoners but gets the word out about it. Um, we get to share our teachings with the, with the world. So please um, be as generous as you can. Uh, donations of $10 are gratefully accepted. So, um, so they'll accept bigger donations. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> or smaller if, if that's Either where it fits um, your wallet. Um, so the, our host will be going around with the uh, Donald Bowl. So our host today Who is. is our, uh, I'm your host. <laughs> um, and I will be walking around with the Donald Bowl. And there are snacks out there. Um, there's hot water for tea, um, and when you're done with your cup, just put it in the sink, and I'll take care of it. And uh, it's been rumored that uh, sometimes at 12.30, when I'm down here, some people meet um, out front and uh, go out to lunch together. I think I covered everything. Um. Is anybody here for the first time again? I asked earlier, but... And what's your name? Ron. Ron, welcome. Thank you. Um, so we'll have a social hour for... The social <laughs> 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 So please stay. <coughs> Let us get to know. Oh, thank you. Um, so, uh, any other announcements? Yes. It's hard to believe, but our day-long spring retreat is only one Saturday away from this coming Saturday on March 23rd. It will be here from 10 to 5. 
spring we'll be talking about wisdom stories about death and afterlife. And what's interesting, she's described on the brochure, which is out there on the credenza if you want to sign up. I understand there are still places left. She's described as an author, a social activist, and the explorer of the unconventional. You'd be interested in being there. Thanks. Um, her book is very good. <laughs> what's Everybody's going to get a free copy of that. Okay. What's the book? What's the book? Uh, by Cindy, um, Wave in a Drop. Yes. Can, can I make an announcement? Yes, please. Uh, I'm trying to find it. Uh, uh, I have a retreat that might interest some of you at Spirit Rock. Uh, it's in early May. Uh, the 10th to the 16th is Maranasati Maranasati Mindfulness of Death Retreat great retreat really my favorite retreat these days to teach very powerful totally no bullshit retreat (laughs) (laughs) so myself and Bob Stahl and even we'll have on on the screen we'll have um, uh, the Venerable Analyo whose book you have here, which is my favorite Buddhist book called uh, Satipatthana, The Direct Path to Realization. And he, he's a really great guy. So, anyhow, that's... The Spirit Route. Yeah. So let's gather in a circle for our parents. <laughs> Okay. So by the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness, which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you, everybody. Good to be here with you all. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.